Hi, you are listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. You will be hearing a sermon from Pastor Jared Aron. So without further ado, here he is. Uh, with Pastor Dave being out of town, we're going to do a four-week uh, sermon series on life together. And really want to talk about Christian community and why we do groups in the first place. And it's been something God's been just really stirring in me over the last year. And I'm really just pumped and excited for this uh, little mini-series. Um, and I want to just be clear up front. And when I use the word community, I'm not referring to the world out there or the local community you, you live in. I'm really referring to a group of believers that are bonded together because of Jesus Christ. And they're learning how to follow Jesus together. So I'm going to do the first three sermons of this series, and uh, Stan's going to do the final one. So I'm going to get the bases loaded, and then Stan's going to hit the Grand Slam in the fourth week. No pressure, Stan, on you. Uh, but I'll be honest, I don't know if you guys have I've shared my story a little bit throughout my sermons, but for me, Christian community in college was revolutionary in my life and my story. I'd been a churchgoer my whole life, but I didn't experience authentic life together community until my college years, and it literally changed everything for me. It changed the direction of my life. It turned a very insecure, passive, and quiet young man into a person that really believed in the grandness of God and that my life ultimately belonged to him. And I'm so grateful to God for that season of life and what God did uh, during my college years. Um, But I'm 15 years out of college, and um, I think I forget that I'm getting older as I serve with Pastor Dave and Pastor Frank, and I married an older woman. She's not here right now, so I can say that. (laughs) But as I'm with these older people all the time, I forget that I myself am getting older too. But it's been 15 years since my college days. And I just want to make an honest confession to you. Over the years, I have lost hope in the possibility of Christian community. Uh, I've really struggled over the years to really believe um, that it was still possible. And I realized that I will never be able to duplicate the ingredients of college, and just tons of free time living together with other people. I realized that the busyness of suburban and city life with jobs and families and kids' activities, community can be very challenging. And I think of my experiences and my disappointment, I'll be honest, I kind of just threw up my hands and said, I guess this is just the way It is now. And those are some of the worst words you can say to yourself. This is just the way it is now. And over the past year, God has really been challenging me and stirring in me in this area of community. Instead of letting my feelings and experiences dictate what I believe, God has been renewing my vision for Christian community, reminding me what he wants that God ultimately wants his people 
to be in this life together community. This is how Jesus himself lived. If anybody didn't need community, it would be Jesus himself. But he had 12 disciples that he did life with. And my heart has been stirred more to fight for what God wants. And I'm guessing there's people in the room that can relate with this struggle of community. That maybe even today you sit here and you find yourself disappointed in your lack of community, your struggle to find community. And I want to just challenge you this morning to pay attention as we look at the Word of God together. I recently read a quote from one of my uh, my favorite authors, and he wrote this, Doubt is easy. Conviction requires courage. Doubt is easy. Conviction requires courage. It's so easy to doubt. It's so easy to criticize. It's so easy to complain. It's so easy to whine. And I feel there are warranted complaints, doubts, and criticism for the state of Christian community in the American church these days. I get that. But I think there are very clear convictions from Scripture about what God says about community. And I think to live out these convictions of Scripture are not going to be easy. They're going to require us to have a resolve, a steadfastness, and a fight for what God ultimately wants. And it's going to require courage. And my hope over the next four weeks is that God would give us a renewed vision for Christian community and why we need to fight for this. And I think throughout these messages, we're going to get really practical and talk about what that looks like for your community group or your discipleship group or your women's Bible study. How do we make this practical? But at the end of the day, I acknowledge and I know that this is a work that the Spirit of God needs to do in us as a church. So I just want to go to God prayer and just acknowledge that together. Lord, I just confess um, myself how quick I am to criticize and doubt. How I easily lose hope. Maybe my brothers and sisters in the room can kind of share that sentiment and that confession. And God, I pray this morning through your word that you would aliven a vision in us for what you want for your church how we're really supposed to live uh, together and to do uh, community and life together. That through your Son, Jesus, we are bound together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that makes all the difference in the world. So God, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us, if there have been any lies that have been planted in our hearts over the years, God, that you would begin to root out those lies. If there's feelings of disappointment and discouragement that have created a bondage in our life, we pray, God, that you would break that in us. We thank you, God, for the power of your word and just acknowledge you and just pray this in Christ's name.
Amen. Well, this morning I want us to look at 1 Peter 2, uh, verses 4 to 8. And I want to share with us three convictions from this text about a Christ-centered community. A community that's centered in Jesus Christ. So here's uh, 1 Peter 2, 4 through, the, 4 through 8. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by human beings, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. The first conviction I want to share with us is that Christ is the starting point of our community. And this might sound like a no-brainer, but I think we need to, to state it together. Christ is the starting point of our community. I don't know if we have any pilots in the room or people that are familiar with aviation, but maybe you've heard this illustration before. If you're flying and you're off even a single degree on your trajectory, it's amazing how far, far off course you eventually will get. If you decide to start at the equator and fly around the globe, if you're off one single degree... By the time you get around the whole globe, you'll be 500 miles off the equator. The starting point, the direction we're taking matters. And I think it can be easy to assume that Christ is the starting point of our community. But if we lose sight of Christ as the center and the direction we're going... It will lead us down paths where we will miss the essence of what God wants for us in Christian community. Let's take a closer look at 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 4. It says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by human beings, but chosen by God and precious to him. Peter's writing to a group of believers who are scattered throughout Asia Minor. Remember, Peter is the guy who was named Simon, and Jesus changed his name to mean rock, which is a pretty cool nickname to get from Jesus. So Peter, the rock, is speaking about Jesus, the living stone. He's reminding the believers that Jesus is not a dead principle. He's not a misguided theory or myth But Christ is alive, and Christ is well, as the resurrected one. Jesus is the living stone, rejected by human beings, and yet chosen by God and precious to him. And Peter's going to unpack this a little for us. He's going to cite three separate Old Testament verses uh, in repeated succession. 
Verse 6, the first one is, he says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, here's the second reference. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And the third one is, in a stone that causes people to stumble, in a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. I don't know if you guys noticed what word is repeated throughout those three references. Stone and cornerstone. Peter is telling us more about what it means for Jesus to be the living stone. And there's kind of two main themes that emerge from these references. First, Peter is saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy of the chosen and precious cornerstone. In ancient architecture, the cornerstone was the first rock that was laid for the dwelling. It would be on one of the corners, hence the name cornerstone. And it was essential that the cornerstone be true and right, because every other stone in the building would be built off that cornerstone. If you messed up the cornerstone, you messed up the whole building. Peter is saying that Jesus is the essential building block to our community, to the people of God. Christian community all begins with Jesus Christ. And again, it might seem like a no-brainer, but I think it's important that we remember it and state it. And second, he's saying Jesus is the dividing point between those who trust him and those who will reject him. The scriptures are very honest that there really are two camps of people. There are those who will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and be a part of the community that he is building and establishing on on this earth and forever. And then there are those who will reject Jesus and will be outside the people of God. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote. He said, we belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. We belong to one another only in and through Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, we need to acknowledge when we come here on Sunday, when we go to our community groups, when you go to your Bible study, maybe at work, the supreme reason why we gather in community as Christians is because Christ has brought us together. It's because of what Christ has done for us. I don't think this is a trivial matter, that Jesus Christ is a starting point of our community. When you start with Jesus, it reveals the depths of our bonds and what God wants for us. Last Sunday, Yvonne and I had the opportunity to travel up to Green Bay, Wisconsin. We show the picture there. You guys can get out your booze now. I'll give you a moment to <laughs> exhale. What a game. I wouldn't say that if the Packers didn't win. 
But being in the stadium with 78,000 mostly Packer fans, it is a surreal experience. And I'm not going to lie, it's something special for me. Especially growing up as a Packer fan in Wisconsin, when you meet another, another Packer fan, there is like an immediate bond that I share with that person. So, so to have 78,000 of them together in one place is just incredible. And I'll, I'll be honest, there was a guy sitting next to me who was fairly obnoxious, but we did embrace after one of the Packers' touchdowns, and a guy that I would never hug in my life. But the Packers brought us together. But I can be real. The bonds of a football team only go so far. I really believe there is an authentic, God-given desire within us that cries for more than bonds over football teams. I really believe we long for bonds that run deeper. And I think part of our struggle in Christian community is that we're often looking for those personality or affinity bonds like sports or being foodies or video games or whatever hobby you have, fill in the blank. And I don't want to poo-poo these things. There's no doubt they can be meaningful points of connection and a starting point for, for friendship. So I'm not saying they're meaningless, But what do you do when you show up at your community group and no one likes the football team you like, which is my scenario every time I go to Christian community? Or no one likes trying new restaurants like you like to do. Or no one has kids the same age as you. Or no one likes to travel like you do. I mean, you get the idea. Whatever it is, whatever you love to do, what do you do when you go to your group and no one shares that interest? And I think we need to remember our community is not first and foremost built on common interests or hobbies. As followers of Jesus, we need to remember that authentic life together community will ultimately be built upon the greatest bond that we share together. which is Jesus himself. Christ is the one that brings us together. When we live out of that place, allowing Jesus to be central to our community, it's extremely powerful. It's meaningful. It's transformational. And I just fear that we're often looking for those surface bonds to connect with people And in doing so, we're missing out on the greatest bond possible to us, which is Christ himself. I just want to encourage like any of our group leaders, if you're a community group leader or you lead a Bible study at your work, I think it's important to remind the group why you are together. That it's first and foremost about Jesus Christ himself that you're not meant to follow Christ alone, and you need to do it together. At our last CG meeting about a week ago, I did not want to be there, honestly. It was a Thursday night. I wasn't in a good mood. I was tired. 
Thursday night football is on on Thursday nights. And I had to, but I went to the group and I was honest with the guys there. It's like, look guys, this is where I'm at, but I'm fighting to remember that I need you guys in my life. And that Christ is more important than anything else and I need to be here tonight. There's a lot of times I go to CG and I don't want to be there. And I think we need to be honest with one another about that. But I can't remember a time I've left CG and have been disappointed that I went. Okay, CG leader, you don't have to preach a sermon every time like this, but just remind people why you're there in the first place. Christ is a starting point of our community. The second conviction is Christ is the builder of our community. He is the one who builds and forms the community that we share. 1 Peter 2.5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Scripture is telling us that Jesus is the living stone. When we come to Christ, we become like living stones too. We are made alive in Jesus, and then God takes us and begins to build into us a spiritual house. We are not individual stones scattered in a field or a building site, but God is bringing us together in a collective whole so we can be the place where Christ dwells and reigns. And the imagery here would be very powerful for those early believers. Uh, The term spiritual house has allusions to the Old Testament tabernacle and temple. The tabernacle and temple was a place where God would dwell with his people. But now Peter is telling us, because what a Christ has done, God is building a new dwelling place. And we are it. The community of his people is the new dwelling place. If you're doing a home remodeling project, it matters who you hire to do the work, right? I'm a guy with no home construction skills, so I have to hire someone to do something for me. You don't want to just hire anybody. You want an expert builder. And I think of the show, The Extreme Makeover Home Edition with Ty Pennington. I don't know if this is even on the air anymore. This was way back in the day. We used to watch this as a family together. But the makeup team would show up at a family's house unannounced. And they would send them off on this amazing vacation while they remodel their home. It was like a dream come true for that family. Never once on the show does the team show up and the family says, no, we'll pass this opportunity. We'll reject this because we don't trust you to remodel our home. They would never do that because these are expert builders who are trustworthy. And I think for us today, I think this is where it gets real for us, we need to regain our confidence that Jesus is the one who's building his community. And he is an expert builder. Christ knows what he is doing. We need to follow his lead and find renewed trust that he will accomplish what he wants among his people and among the communities that gather in his name.
And I really believe that remembering that Christ is the builder of his community should give us great hope. As a group leader, that kind of frees you up. You're not the one building your community. You are leaning into Jesus Christ himself. And I really believe God is still in the business of taking us as living stones and building a spiritual house where he wants to reign and he wants to control and lead that community. I was thinking about my own story and just the times that God has broken in to really build community in my own life. And it brought me back to a moment, my sophomore year of college, and I was really growing spiritually at the time. I was part of my campus church at U of I. And one of our leaders, it was was a guy named Ed, and um, he was post-college, so he had graduated already. He was working, was still part of the church. And Ed had a personality that was just a lot different than mine. He was loud. He was goofy, just very extroverted. And I'll be honest, I, you know, I was still like a 19-year-old kid, so I was still immature, but Ed annoyed me like crazy. I would go to church. I didn't want to be around this guy whatsoever. And then one night, um, we were in our home fellowship gathering on a Sunday night, and it was near the end of the group time, and we broke into pairs to pray together. You know where this story is going. I got paired up with Ed. And I, I'm sure I was thinking, is there any way I can leave right now? But like we were off campus. I didn't have a car, so like that wasn't possible. But I'll tell you what. As we started to pray together, I mean, the Holy Spirit was at work in an indescribable way. And it was as if scales were falling off my eyes that I had a whole new perspective for Ed. And it changed the course of our relationship. He went on to become just a great friend, a brother in Christ. He discipled me for the last two years of college. It's amazing what God can do in community, when the bond starts with Jesus Christ. And I really believe God still wants to do that today. He wants to break in. That we share a bond in Jesus Christ that goes beyond annoyances, personality differences, age gaps, cultural differences, difficulties. And Jesus is able to break in and build community among his people, no matter how different we are. And I think we need to remember the way that God often builds community is a mystery. It's not a science. It's not step one, two, three. It really is a work of the Holy Spirit. And for me, one of the renewed convictions is, I really believe prayer is one of those essential practices that God uses to build community. Through prayer, it becomes less about us and more about God. And we acknowledge our need for God in all things. And through prayer and seeking Christ together, God will knit our hearts together and establish that great bond that is centered in Christ first and foremost.
it really does all start with Jesus. He is the starting point, and he is the one who's building our community. And the third conviction uh, I want to share this morning from 1 Peter is, pleasing Christ then becomes one of the central aims of a community that's centered in Jesus. Pleasing Christ becomes one of the central aims for us. Going back to verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Christ is building us into a spiritual house with a purpose, with an intention. Peter is writing to a group of Christian believers who are probably very ordinary people, just like you and I are. And he's going to remind them of something extraordinary that God is calling them to. And it made me think of the Lego movie. This is what happens when you have young kids. My social life is built around watching movies like the Lego movie. I've seen this movie way too many times. But if if you're not familiar with it, in the Lego, it's actually a really good movie for adults too. But if you're not familiar, so in the Lego movie, this main character, Emmett, he's a construction worker. He's like the most ordinary guy in the Lego world. And yet he mistakenly gets identified as the special, basically the, the Messiah figure of the Lego community. And he's way in over his head. Uh, he gets caught up in this mission to save the world, and he's completely unprepared for the task ahead and the expectations on him as the special. And I just wonder for us if we often find ourselves in a place like Emmett. When we think about our role in the kingdom of God, this grand thing, We talk about the church and Christian community and you look at yourself and you say, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just an accountant. I'm not a leader. I'm not a pastor. I'm just an ordinary church attender. And we're so quick to downplay the significance of our role that God has called us to. But I'll just tell you what, it doesn't jive well with Scripture, that kind of thinking. Peter is saying that God is building each of us together into a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I think we have completely undersold our role in the church of Jesus Christ. There is no great divide in Scripture between clergy and laity, those who work for God and those who don't. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, far from being less, God has called you to so much more. What Peter is saying here is that you are a holy priest. Together, God is forming us into a holy priesthood. Let that sink in for a moment. I know the Pope has been in the country, so this idea of priesthood and papal office is right there in front of us. 
but you are a holy priest. You and I are each called to be set apart, to be part of a distinctive community of God's people, and to be a priest. In the Old Testament, the priest was a representative for God, for the people. And the one who would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. Sacrifices to worship God. Peter is raising the bar here for the early Christian believers and for us today. He's telling us that God is building us into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. The tone and the theme of these verses are very similar to Romans 12.1 that maybe you're familiar with. Paul's writing to the Roman church says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, not pastors and leaders, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. As part of the holy priesthood that God is building, God is asking us to live lives that will please him, that will honor him. And that is true worship unto God. I really believe pleasing Christ is one of the central aims of a community that's centered in Jesus. And I think this begins to color in what it means for Christ to be the center of us. When Christ is the center, one of the questions, one of the wrestling points for us in community is, how do I and how do we please Jesus together? I mean, I'll be honest, that's a question I've been asking myself over the last week. And I just want you to know, everything I say up here, I wrestle with. And I look at my own life I've really been wrestling as a husband, as a father, as a pastor. Am I really pleasing you, God, in the way I'm living? And I'm not talking about like even sin, just the way that I live, the normal acceptance of how I do life. Is it pleasing to you, God? And I just sense God, you know, beginning to examine me and beginning to point out things in my own life. Uh, And I I really, truly want to please Jesus with everything. And I don't want to just assume that's happening. I think that's one of the worst things we can do is assume that's happening. And and for me as a pastor, it, it would be an easy assumption. I'm a pastor. Of course, my life is pleasing to Jesus. And you could be saying the same thing. I'm faithful as a husband, as a wife. I go to my community group, I serve, I give, but I don't think that necessarily guarantees your life is pleasing to Jesus. I think we need to continually examine ourselves and ask God. And I just want to offer up a few examples of what I think this looks like in community. When someone's sharing about their job, and maybe they're having a difficult time with their boss right now, Instead of just praying for God to fix the situation, I think a community that wants to please Christ, 
the, the prayer eventually moves to, God, help our brother and sister to please and honor you in this relationship, to please you in how they treat their boss. That's a little bit different than God just fix the situation, provide comfort, provide relief, provide an out. God, may our brother or sister be pleasing unto you. For the marriage that's struggling, a Christ-centered community encourages that couple to move beyond just the pain and disappointment that exists in the marriage towards God. What would it look like for this couple to really please and honor you? Not ignoring the mess or the problems, but praying for them to become more like Christ in the midst of the mess. In a Christ-centered community, I think people begin to share their heart for those who are in need, those who are hurting, those who are far from God. I think it becomes normative that people are sharing about their family and friends who do not know Christ and praying, God, would you work in my family member's life and bring them to Jesus Christ? And that's shared together in community. We rally together and pray for people who do not know God. And I think that deeply pleases him. As we talk about our calendars and our, how we use our time and our money, and I think this is a really hard place to just really examine your life, but to really ask God, God, is how I use my time and money really honoring to you? And even that money thing, that's a hard thing for me to go after, honestly. Um, it hasn't been something in the last week I've thought about a lot, but I think I need to think about that. God, is how I use my money really honoring to you? This past spring break, our family took a road trip down to Texas. My little sister, who's nine years younger than me, lives in College Station, Texas, uh, with her husband, Rollin. And it was the first time we got to go down and visit them in Texas, so it was great to see how they live and meet some of their friends. I think the highlight for Yvonne and I was going to their home group. They're part of a campus church at Texas A&M. And we were able to join them for one of their evening home groups. And there was no doubt about it, Yvonne and I were the old fogies that night. Uh, We were hanging out with a bunch of college students. And they were so gracious and welcoming to the elderly uh, among them. And as I sat there and worshipped with them, and prayed with them, and kind of just heard the things they were wrestling with, heard their hearts for God. It was so obvious that the Spirit of God was at work in this community. It was so tangible that it was an authentic, real community that wanted to seek after Christ and, and please Him. And I'll tell you what, we only spent like a few hours with them But I think Yvonne and I both felt deeply bonded to these students who were 20 years younger than us. And it was because Christ was there. Christ was the source of our bond and connection. And really that night gave me so much hope for the future of the church and for what God's doing. Because I really believe college is such a critical time. Uh, for raising up future generations of leaders and pastors and people who will follow Jesus. I left with so much hope uh, for the church of the future. 
And it just reminded me that God is still building authentic communities in the world today with him at the center. And these communities will really long to please Jesus in everything. It's a beautiful and amazing thing when you experience it, when you're in the midst of it. And I don't don't know about you, but I am fired up because I want to see God continue to do that in our church today and now. I long for us to have groups in our church that are more centered in Jesus Christ, remembering that he is the one who ultimately builds our community. And that we would see an unshakable passion to please Christ in everything as we gather together. It would be so obvious that we want to honor Jesus uh, with our lives. I really believe this is part of God's vision for community, and it's worth fighting for. And, and that's my charge to us this morning as we're going through this series. I want to charge you to keep fighting for this vision of Christian community. There's so many different elements of community that we'll share over these four weeks and, and what it looks like. But I want to offer you a few kind of immediate encouragements and kind of next steps uh, this morning. The first one is just similar to what I just shared, but we want our groups to be Christ-centered communities. Uh, I just don't want to assume that's the case. I want to keep stating it over and over again, that our groups will reflect that Jesus really is the starting point and he's the bonding agent uh, when we gather together. Um, I, and I want to be careful here. I don't want to minimize the role that social community can, can play, but we're not building social communities alone. We, we're building social communities with Christ at the center. We're trying to seek after him together. Because I think there's a t- tension in our groups, like between is this a connection point or are we trying to go deeper together? And I'll tell you, it's both of them at the same time. We want our groups to be a place where new people can be welcomed in and find community, but we want to go deeper together and acknowledge the reason why we're together is because of Christ. And I'm going to keep repeating that to our group leaders and reminding them over and over that we want Christ to be the center of our community. And the second encouragement is that spiritual community is not optional. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to be in some sort of spiritual community. You're not meant to follow Christ alone. And you're missing out on a huge part of the Christian life if you're not in community. I mean, a lot of how we grow is in the messiness of relationships. It's not always fun. It's not always easy but our relational connection with one another often points out ways that we need to grow in our character, in our relationship with God. And I think at Harvest, we're trying to broaden the reach of spiritual community. Uh, Community groups has been kind of the staple that we've offered, um, but we've done the discipleship group. We've talked about doing explorer groups. We have women Bible studies. So we're trying to say, I mean, these are all good forms of spiritual community, depending on where you're at and your journey with Jesus. Uh, 
And, and today, if you're in a place where you're not really connected in spiritual community, I just want to encourage you to go to the Welcome Center. We have really great people that not just want to welcome you, they want to help you get connected at our church and find meaningful community. I want to say another word. If you're in a CG, but you're kind of like a Christmas and Easter CG attender, like you're on the roster, but your attendance is very minimal, I just want to put a challenge out to you. I mean, I know there might be circumstances for why you can't go, uh, but if that group, the meeting time doesn't work for you, maybe it's time you join another CG so you can really be committed in spiritual community. But don't, don't just be on the roster and not show up and be a part of the life of your CG. So that's my challenge and encouragement to you. And there's guys in my group that they know who I'm talking about. I won't mention their names. So. And the last thing I want to just share is spiritual community is built through all its members. I really believe God wants to use each one of us to build spiritual community. It isn't up to the group leader alone. We are all priests, not just your CG leader. Each CG member is a holy priest unto God. And I really believe each one of us has something to offer spiritually to the life and health of our groups. And so if you're in that place where you kind of show up at CG, but you're not bringing your full self and your gifts that you have to offer to your community, I just want to invite you to really pray about that this week. God, am I offering my best to the spiritual community that I'm a part of? Doubt is easy. Conviction requires courage. And I just want to just warn you, just it's, it's so easy to complain and whine about the state of community, maybe in your own life. And I just want to charge you to live out of a place of vision for what God wants and really keep fighting for this dream of life together community. It's a beautiful thing when you see Christ working in the midst of your group and you get to be a part of it. And I think each of us longs to be a part of it because God has put that desire and need within us. So let me pray for us as I close. God, I know some of the things that were shared this morning seem so simple and elementary and obvious, um, that you are the starting point of our community, that you are the builder of our community. But God, I pray that we just take, we wouldn't take that for granted. We wouldn't take for granted the gift it is to know your son, Jesus. To remember that our life has been purchased by his blood. And that we belong to you, God. That our life does not belong to ourselves. And that you have also given us a family, a spiritual family to be a part of. It's such a treasure, God. 
And so I pray, God, that we would not take it for granted. And I just pray, God, that we would not be on the sidelines of what you want to do in our church, in our groups, God. But that each one of us would embrace the calling that you placed on us to truly be holy priests. I know for probably many of us, that's just mind-blowing. It's hard for us to wrap our minds and our hearts around it. So God, I pray your Holy Spirit would just deposit that truth and seal it in our hearts. That we're called to be set apart as your people. We're called to work and labor for what you want to build, that you want to build a spiritual house among us, a place that you dwell and you reign. And at the end of the day, God, when we begin doing community well and really living out these charges from Scripture, God, I really believe and I know that we will be a beacon in this world that people will know you because of our love for one another. That's what your word tells us. So I pray that you would make our community stronger and healthier and more centered in you so we can be a light into this world and see many more come in and find you as the living stone, the rock that they can build their lives on. But... God, in all this, we acknowledge, God, we need to follow your lead. We need to follow the Holy Spirit at work in us, God. So we just ask that you would just lead us strongly and mightily. We would pay attention to how you're stirring us and those promptings that you give us. And that we would be unashamed in following you. And we do it with so much courage and resolve because we just desire to please you at the end of the day. And we just want our lives to honor you so much. That would be the driving motivation in all this. So God, we pray this together in the one name, the name that's above all other names, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.